Welcome to Footloose, the podcast where we chat with people living unconventional and nomadic lifestyles. I'm your host, Tim Bull, and I hope you'll join me as we hear stories from travellers from around the world. Welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited today to be talking with Matt Miller. Matt is a good friend of mine. We've been working together now for almost 10 years, so we're perhaps overly familiar with each other. Uh, hopefully that makes this a little more casual and entertaining. Uh, we both promised to try and not swear so much, but we'll see how that goes. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Tim promised on my behalf that I wouldn't swear too much, so I'll, I'll try my best, but no promises. Okay. I think we're all an adult audience here. So <laughs> let's kick this off, Matt. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience traveling and traveling overseas, and where are you based at the moment? I am uh, based in San Francisco, where I was born and raised. So I in, in have not quiet uh, suburbs of Daily City. Exactly, just on the edge. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I. Uh, it's funny. I've lived here my whole life, so despite quite a bit of international traveling, I've never strayed too far from the coop in terms of where I live um, permanently. Uh, but. Perhaps that's because I've had the opportunity to travel a ton. Um, yeah, the first first international trip I ever took that was kind of more independent, not a family type affair. I was 16 years old and I went to Santander, Spain to live with a family for three months and do kind of an immersion program. Um, and that was an amazing experience, which I have plenty of wonderful interesting stories from both culturally and in terms of debauchery as a 16 year old <laughs> um and so yeah that was uh that was a that was a fantastic trip and it really kind of sparked this desire in me to just continually go and see as much as i can in the world um and so uh, just two years after that i actually returned to europe with three of my closest high school friends when we were 18 years old and disastrous mistake on your parents part to allow you out of the country unaccompanied 18 year old matt miller was a very different man than 37 year old matt miller and suffice it to say that trip was filled with adventure and many 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 disastrous pitfalls do you think that uh, you know traveling like that i mean it's interesting to look back right do you think that traveling like that you actually got to experience the culture or you just kind of created culture as you went it was this hybrid of matt destroying europe or well what was really interesting was that you know we we spent a, a, a majority of our time in france and the reason that we went to france was because one of my close friends went to uh, the French International School in San Francisco. And so there were a couple of kids from France that had come to San Francisco that they became very friendly with, that we all became friendly with. And so, you know, we thought that it'd be a good idea to go explore Europe and then eventually link up with these French kids that we knew. Um, and I actually think that it was a really interesting cultural experience um, as, as opposed to, or a bit of a, I think it was actually a very cultural experience and more a melding of our American culture with the French culture and finding the intersections between the two. Um, and I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. because I think that this is like a really, really good um, place to start. So the first night that we landed, we, you know, we landed in Paris and obviously we're at seven, eight hours behind. Um, so we're really excited to have started the trip. Um, you know, we have a friend who's putting us up um, in an apartment and we get there and we can't sleep. So we decide to walk out the front door with no idea where we're going and start wandering around. And if I'm honest, we were wandering around to, to find some hash so that we could start <laughs> the trip off. Right. And so... We started, you know, going throughout these different streets. We had no idea where we were. We hopped on a train. We got off a train um, and we actually found our way into a ghetto like um, and it was an Arab ghetto. Um, and we were walking around and we being city kids ourselves, we quickly 
picked up on the fact that we were not in a touristy area of Paris. Um, and so, which is a fantastic place to find hash, also <laughs> fantastic place to potentially get robbed. Um, and so we're walking around and we actually, I mean, we actually got chased <laughs> by a, a group of dudes. We found a, a guy who said he could find us some of this hash and, you know, brings us down this alley. And as we're walking, our alarm bells are kind of going off. And next thing we know, we open up into this courtyard that's surrounded by these high rise projects. Um, and the second that these guys in the courtyard saw us, we just knew what was about to transpire. Um, and so we just turned around and like started running and these guys were chasing us. And so this was like our first two hours in Paris. Um, and luckily we were able to, you know, elude them and get away. And so now we have no idea where we are and we're just walking around understanding that maybe, you know, a rash decision to leave at 1 a.m. and start wandering around the Paris streets <laughs> in the not the best, not, not the best way to start the trip. Um, but what ended up happening is we walked by a stoop and there was about eight or nine French, French guys of, of varying, you know, different cultural and ethnic backgrounds sitting on a stoop. And they were playing, you know, loud rap music and they were doing graffiti in their, in what's called a black book. And so we all were obviously kids that really liked hip hop in high school and actually like through college graffiti was like a major, major passion of mine. <laughs> and so, and we would do these huge, you know, these big, huge murals. Sometimes they were commissions, uh, lots of times they were illegal and we saw these kids writing in their books. And so we came up and only one of us spoke a teeny bit of French. Um, and essentially like this really interesting thing happened is like these kids were kind of freestyling in French over this beat. And my friend who also freestyled just jumped in and started freestyling. And the next thing you know, we're kind of like connecting with these kids that we can't actually communicate with mm -hmm. um, over graffiti and hip hop. And so I always carried my black book with me, which is the black book is like where you do all of your graffiti pieces, like friends of yours or other graffiti writers will write in it. It's almost like they sign your book. Um, and so I pulled out my black book and showed them this graffiti that I, you know, would work on. Um, and they pulled out theirs and we started kind of showing each other the work. And what ended up happening is that they said, come back here tomorrow. We'll, we want to take you to show you something. And we said, great, you know, and they helped us figure out how to get out of this area. <laughs> um, and, you know, we went back to, to where we were staying and woke up the next day, you know, around, I don't know, like 11 or 12. And by 1 p.m. in the afternoon, we had met back up with this group of kids. Um, and we hopped on the train and they took us to a graffiti there's like all these different stores that are like graffiti hip-hop themed so tons of spray paint in the store mm -hmm. um tons of markers and we ended up buying you know a ton of paint and they took us to these paris train yards um that were filled with graffiti and they said you can it's like there's no no problem with the police and so we spent the entire day doing these huge graffiti murals in the paris train yards with these local kids um and we ended up, they ended up showing us all over Paris. Um, we went to clubs with them. We had this like incredible thing to graffiti all over Paris with them. Um, and it ended up being this like incredible moment where by virtue of the things that we were both respectively interested in, in our mm -hmm. own lives, mm -hmm. we were able to connect, even though we literally could barely speak one another's languages. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was really cool. I actually have pictures of the graffiti that we did and all these pictures of us as young hooligans, like sitting in front of these, these graffiti pieces. And, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite, quite an, uh, a cool experience. But I think that's, that's actually, you know, pretty interesting. I mean, it's an interesting story, but it's also interesting because it, it really raises a good point, which is that. I think sometimes when we travel, we tend to think of, of us experiencing other people's culture. But it's also true that the people that you're meeting while you travel want to experience your culture as well. Like it can be, it very much can be a two-way street. It's not necessarily all one way. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's always, you know, for me, the most important thing traveling is always trying to be as respectful as you can of the people that you are coming into contact with. You know, I mean, Americans have like the worst reputation internationally when it comes to their attitude towards travel and and this kind of this idea that America, like the world is America, right? Like we can act how we act at home. Like we should, we are entitled to the same types of behavior from other people that we experience at home. And like, this is our world, you know, and I'm going to experience it in the way that I want to experience it. And that's always been a point of shame for me traveling as an American, because I know that that, that that precedent has been set by so many people that are uninterested in taking a step back, you know, really trying to understand the culture and the people and then bringing their authentic selves to that in a respect of, in a respectable way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, if you do that, there's this like wonderful exchange that can happen. This happened like multiple, multiple times in multiple different cultures in multiple different ways for me as I've traveled throughout my life. Yeah. And, uh, I know I'm, I'm on video with you at the moment, so I'm looking in the background and I'm counting, I think 14 surfboards in the back. There. <laughs> uh, fair to say you're a little bit of a surfer and surfing has taken you uh, traveling to a few places. Yes. Yes. I mean, once, once surfing really took hold of my life, it has changed the trajectory of every decision I make both financially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and in terms of my physical locations in the world, you know, many of my, my girlfriends and partners have bemoaned the fact that I refuse to travel anywhere that there is not good surf. Um, <laughs> I've tried to, yeah, unless, unless there's great powder. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to break that habit as I get a little bit older, but when you only have a limited amount of opportunities to travel and you love something like surfing and being in the ocean, it's natural to want to gravitate towards that. Um, so yeah, surfing has, uh, surfing is, I mean, I've, I'll, I'll list the places that I've gone specifically to surf for surf travel. Um, so I've been all up, all over Central America. I mean, visited El Salvador multiple, multiple times, Nicaragua, multiple times, Costa Rica, multiple times, um, Mexico, multiple times. I've, uh, I actually, one of the great surf adventures that I've ever taken was, uh, flying into Panama um, with my a backpack and a bag of surfboards and no plan whatsoever, just knowing that I was meeting a friend there that would be there for two weeks. And then beyond that, I'd have to figure it out. Um, and my entire goal on this trip was to take the local chicken buses up, up through Central America until I reached El Salvador. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I think I took four months. Um, and I just went from beach town to beach town and location to location, kind of in pursuit of surf and whatever other really cool things there were to see in those areas. Um, and it was, it was one of the coolest travel experiences I've ever had. One of the craziest in some, at some times, you know, I was, uh, lots of times I was the only tourist that was using this type of transportation mm -hmm. and i i stuck out like a sore thumb because of my huge surfboard bags <laughs> um and so it was there was a lot of i mean there was a lot of faith that was involved in that trip when i get on one of these buses they'd grab my surfboard bags with everything i had and throw it on top of a bus and i basically when i got off the bus i had to hope that that surfboard bag was still there and be like yeah hey, could you guys get that down for me um <laughs> And I'm, I'm happy to say that it was always, always still there. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that trip was one of the coolest, coolest adventures ever. Um, because I did, I actually ended up seeing a ton of stuff that wasn't surf related that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, because I was like, I'm here, I need to go, you know, yeah. explore. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. And it's, it's, um, I mean, it took you to a lot of places that I think it's fair to say, are not necessarily safe or not always perceived as being very safe. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there was, uh, you know, there are certain cities in Central America um, that are known for being particularly uh, dangerous, I'd say, Mm -hmm. like, quote, unquote. Um, And I definitely had a number of experiences where I kind of realized that because I was traveling the way I was traveling and because I was using the mode of transportation that I was using, I was ending up in, you know, these very large bus stations mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that were full of local buses. I mean, there's, it's not like there's some schedule. It's not like there, it's, it's, you're just showing up and you're kind of figuring out like which one of these buses do I need to take to get to where I'm going. Um, and the border crossings were also particularly interesting because if you're, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a, a tourist that is paying for a border crossing by bus, many times the bus that you're on is a very, very nice air conditioned, yep. you know, comfortable seats. There's movies playing. Um, they come through the bus and they, they take your take your passport. They give you the piece of paper. They tee all of that border crossing up and you almost don't even have to get off the bus. And when you arrive at these crossings, they have a person that's working at the border that kind of streamlines the process for you. Um, And so when I was traveling by chicken bus, none of that was happening. So what would happen is the chicken bus would drop me off on one side of the border. Mm -hmm. And then I would take your stuff and literally walk across the border to the other side. And then when you got to the other side, you would go into an immigration office and, um, and then navigate that process. And many, many times on either side of the border, mm-hmm. it was a very, very um, intense situation where there's clearly a ton of people there that know people are traveling. Some people are, are trying to immigrate to the United States. There's just a whole host of different kind of reasons that people are crossing these borders. And with that brings a whole host of people, some with you know nefarious intention, others that are there for just to make money or or help people cross um no one of the more one of the more interesting crossings was moving from costa rica into nicaragua um so you know costa rica is generally considered a a fairly um modernized country in in central america Mm -hmm. um it's a place where uh, many people go to retire there's a lot more amenities i mean like when I was in Costa Rica, it was one of the few places on this trip where I could stop and get really, really good supermarket food, pita mm-hmm. bread, right. organic egg. Like there was all of these things that the rest of the trip, I, I mean, I was like living on rice and beans and spaghetti, basically. Um, and and I remember moving from Costa Rica to Nicaragua, you know, that border crossing in, in specific was very, like, very active, very lively. It was super hard for me to, to kind of navigate where I was supposed to go and what I was supposed to do. Um, and getting into Nicaragua, you're moving from a country that has, you know, relative a relatively higher per capita wealth yep. or, and income to one that has a much lower kind of level of, of wealth and income. And so the second I got on the other side of that border and I'd gotten through all of the tourist buses, you know, they're just like, like on the way over there and all the other ones, you have to literally walk through this like big, like cement wall with barbed wire and you go out this door and then you're just in this area where there's dozens of buses Mm -hmm. and people just lugging bags and you just have no idea where you're supposed to go or what you're supposed to do. And when I walked through there with my surfboard bags, it was like, I saw, you know, a hundred sets of eyes just like, vroom, like right in on me. Yep. Um, and I remember I knew very, very quickly. I was like, this is what I'm doing is not typical. Cause I was just, people were giving me so much attention. Um, and for the next, you know, two hours, I basically had to keep all of my stuff like extremely close because mm-hmm. I could like people were coming up trying to say, Oh, we'll take your bag for you. We'll do this for yeah. you. We'll do that for you. And I knew that, you know, as a solid. Oh, they take your bag for you. They take your bag for you. Oh, they will take your bag for you. They will, they will, and it'll go. <laughs> it'll go. It'll go. And so 
it was yeah i mean that was that was very uh that was you know that was like the introduction to nicaragua and nicaragua was definitely where i had some of the like um the more clear threats to my safety during that trip right um i got on a bus at that at that station i was going all the way to northern nicaragua to this place a surf place called the boom um, which is this incredible wave, this incredible beach break. I'm actually going there in a, in a couple couple weeks. Hey, um, nice. And uh, and you have to take the bus into Managua. And Managua is one of those cities I was talking about that is known to be just particularly bad crime. Um, and in specific, they like if you read on the travel forms are like just don't go just don't go into these major bus stations or people are careful <laughs> exactly where you were going to end up exactly where i was going to end up and i i end up in this in this bus station in managua and i get off the bus and i am i am swarmed by guys they're like oh we can get you where you're going you know come with us come with us and i'm like and i'm basically no 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 like i need to know I, like i know where i'm going i know what i need and so i basically you know, as you navigate this, you kind of get this, you just start to get a, a sixth sense of who you can talk to mm-hmm. the, and who is actually there to help you versus who is looking at an angle. Um, and so some guy, you know, pointed me in the right direction. Um, and I find this area where the buses that are going to Northern Nicaragua are, and there's four or five of these kind of smaller bands and the guys just immediately start like in Spanish. Um, and luckily, you know, I can understand pretty well, like I'm certainly not fluent um, and I can only speak in the present tense, but I can communicate. No I, I laugh because that's pretty much my French. <laughs> as long as we're talking about what we're doing right now, I'm good. Exactly. I just say an el pasado and el futuro when I want to tell them that I'm talking about something in the future, talking about something in the past. Um, and uh and basically these, these three guys come up that have these two vans and they immediately are plotting about how they're going to separate me from my bags mm-hmm. and that these guys are going to take my, like they're basically divvying up my stuff in right. front of me. In, in Spanish, um, thinking that you can't understand Spanish, what you're saying. Thinking that I can't, that I can't understand. I, I just like sat there quietly just to get like a really good read of the situation they were like oh come on friend like we can and i just like was like todo," <laughs> and i was like i understand everything and i just was like there's no way i'm going with any of you guys and i just kind of like sat there and was just like all right like i guess i just have to kind of wait here until these guys decide that it's going to be worth more trouble for them to like somehow take my things than you know than uh than it's worth and that's basically what they did is like, they kept trying and kept trying. I kept telling them, no, I'm not going with you. I don't want to get your ride. I'll get another ride. I'll get another ride. And this went on for like 45 minutes to an hour where it was just like, I just was like, man, when are they just going to like Give knock me over the head and take my stuff. <laughs> and uh, luckily that didn't happen. And they just left. And then I got a ride with a, a legit guy who took me up, you know, with a number of other, other locals. Um, and funny enough, that was actually like the, the 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 bus ride where the chicken bus, like name, really, I fully understood why they're called chicken buses because I was sitting next to a guy who had two, like mesh bags full of chickens, <laughs> and this is like a five six hour bus ride, and these chickens are next to me and they're just poking at my feet the entire oh. ride. And I, and I, I remember I turned to the guy and I said, like, uh, can you tell your chickens uh, to stop that? <laughs> well, no, I said, I said, tus pollos, uh, tienes hambre. And he was like, which means in super broken Spanish, your chickens are hungry. And I, like, I was trying to make a joke. And he just looked at me and was like, get, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like I was like, gringo. <laughs> he just didn't like my joke at all. Um, but yeah, eventually I made it to the boom and, and, uh, got got the best barrels of my trip so that was pretty pretty wonderful and uh, i know that you also spent some time in indonesia as well yeah yeah i've actually probably in terms of surf travel spent um the most time in indonesia uh i've 
I mean, I probably spent like a, almost a year there cumulatively over yeah. over four trips. And, and before... then, sorry, but those and those two places. So, you know, when you think about Indonesia versus Central America, you're talking about two places that, you know, are fairly economically depressed, right? You know, yeah, that are poorer countries. Um, but I've heard. And I'd be interested to hear what you say about this, that, you know, you wouldn't have the same issues in Indonesia perhaps that you had in Central America with people trying to scam and take your stuff. Or was that an issue there too? Um, it's it's inter- It depends on where in Indonesia you are. Um, generally speaking, you don't have people scamming and trying to overtly, like, take your, your stuff or rip you off. Like, obviously, anytime you're a foreigner... Um, trying to bargain in a local currency, like if prices are going to be very inflated. People are going to see you as an opportunity to make a little bit more money than usual. And so there's always like those things that you need to navigate. Um, but, you know, in Indonesia, I would say that there was, I've never felt threatened in mm-hmm. Indonesia. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've never been in a situation where I've thought to myself, oh man, like these, these people want to rob me they want to hurt me um there's a chance that i'm going to get in a physical altercation like none of those experiences have happened for me in indonesia i mean mm-hmm. you hear of them um but you know generally for me in indonesia it's been um the people have been very very helpful very very happy mm-hmm. um and they're just very interested in learning more about me i mean it's funny one of the guys that i travel a lot with is uh is a redhead, which is yep. obviously not a common hair type in Indonesia. And it's wild. Everywhere I go with him, people are just like asking if they can touch his hair, asking if they can take pictures with him. Um, and it's just because it's such a kind of like unique um, thing, I guess. Yep. Um, so yeah, in Indonesia, I've never had that same kind of like, I guess what I would call threatening experience. Now, don't get me wrong. Like there's plenty of petty theft in Indonesia, um, specifically in Bali. There's like, there's just one beach called Belongin and I love surfing there on like bigger swells. And if you leave anything in your motorbike, like you're going to come, it's not going to be there when you come back. Um, and so like, there's little things like that. Um, and in Indonesia, the one thing that I will say that you experience a ton more than Central America. Um, I think in Panama, I had to bribe one, one cop, mm-hmm. but in Indonesia, it is, I mean, it is standard. It is like standard that you are paying off police. Um, and they just will, if you're in transit and you're traveling, um, especially if you're, if you're a foreigner on your own, um, they're, they're going to tell you all types of stories about impounding your stuff, taking you to jail, um, just to try to get you to give them more money. Um, then you need to to, yep. to to go along your merry way. So yeah, that's the that's the only thing in Indo. I mean, I that I, I it happens so often that when I travel in Indonesia, I actually put my money in the rim of my hat, going like going around my hat, and then I keep you know twenty thousand, fifty thousand rupiah in my in my pocket, so that if there's ever a, a moment where I need to be need to pay off a cop i can pull it out of my pocket and then empty my pockets right be like this, this is all i have i can't give you anything else like you're taking all of my money and then you know then normally that just shortens that whole kind of bartering process over how much the bribe is going to be <laughs> awesome um uh, so okay so you spent a, a lot of time there uh you know these places that you're going especially when you're going to surf uh, they attract a lot of, you know, famous surfers as well. So, you know, do you find yourself kind of getting to hang out with surf celebrities or? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, that's one of the cool things about surfing is, I mean, even here at home in San Francisco, you know, this this winter in particular has been, the surf has been extremely good. Um, we've had, you know, we had a run of about a month and a half where it, the surf was big, the conditions were perfect. And there was a few days mixed into that month and a, and a half where Ocean Beach in San Francisco was as good as it gets anywhere in the world ever in terms of the wave quality. Um, and, you know, at that point, we had 
all these pros all from California, sometimes from Hawaii that know that it's going to be that good. And it was going to be, you know, 15 foot and they come to San Francisco and you're out there and you're seeing, you know, Bobby Martinez and like all these guys that are just, I mean, standout servers, Nat Young, who's on the world tour is from Santa Cruz. Um, so, you, I mean, you, you see these guys in the water, which is a cool thing about serving is you basically can see guys that you're watching who are professionals pretty frequently in different areas. Um, but yeah, in Indonesia, I mean, I've seen Jerry Lopez, uh, uh, one of the, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but he's an Australian, one of the bra boys, um, Kobe Aberton, I think. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm sure that if I sat here and really thought about it, I could continue to list just multiple, multiple pro surfers, um, that I've been, I've been in the water with out there. But how do you, and so that's the, that's the sort of communal side of it, but you know, you also hear about surfers being particularly tribal. Um, is that an issue when you're traveling internationally or is it not so developed there or? Oh no, it's always an issue. I mean, if you're a surfer, you need to understand the, the, the pecking order, no matter where you go. And internationally, I mean, it's very, very simple. Like you as a, as a visitor are at the bottom of the pecking order. Right. Um, so, and if you come into another, uh, another country with the attitude that like I'm on my surf trip and I'm going to get my waves, um, and you surf with that type of attitude and with the lack of respect for the local surf community, um, like there will be consequences. Um, the, the, the more minor of which is that you're not going to get the waves you want. Mm-hmm. Um, the more, the more major of which is that you're going to have a, a serious conflict. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's like that in Bali. It's like that in Central America. It's just like that anywhere. It's like the locals of a, lo- of a location, um, are going to feel some sense of entitlement and ownership of that wave. Um, which is, I mean, it's understandable part of surf culture. Um, and it's just a matter of how do you navigate and, and show respect. So for me, anytime I never, I always defer, you know, I mean, if I'm at a place somewhere else and a local guy wants to wave, I'm not battling him for that wave. Like I'll battle, another tourist all day but um the local guys i mean and if, if they're taking off on me and burning me you just don't it's like you just keep your mouth shut and smile about it and pop back out and and wait for the next wave and i found that the more you do that and the more friendly you are and kind of show that respect the more these guys start calling you into waves and giving you good waves um which has happened to me multiple multiple times like you get friendly with guys you're seeing in the water and all of a sudden they're not trying to take so many of your waves. Um, but yeah, there was, when we were in El Salvador at this place called Punta Roca, which is a, one of the best point breaks in the entire world. And it's also like, a, like it's El Salvador is a heavy country. The locals at Punta Roca are heavy locals and they're, you know, and there's plenty of, uh, plenty of stories about them, like pepper spraying people in the water and, all types of stuff. And uh, we were there surfing and there was a, a Brazilian guy and his girlfriend. Um, and they just were, I mean, like back paddling everybody, like going to the point, like they catch a wave and go right back to the top and just totally not being respectful of etiquette. And I saw this happening for like two days and the local guys were kind of like, letting it slide to a degree. And then on the third day, they were like basically walked these two out of the water and said like, never come surf here again. Like you're not allowed to surf Punta Roca. Um, and we didn't see them again. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay. And so, you know, moving forward, so there's a lot of surf trips, but uh, you also travel a lot within California. I know that you, you love to get out of the city, um, city born and bred, but country boy at heart or something like that. Uh, but uh, I believe you have uh, you've managed to build yourself a van. So you've you've become like like me during COVID, where we rushed off and bought a, a boat. You've decided during COVID that uh, you're going to rush out and, and and build a build a van and, and tour around the countryside. Tell us a little yeah. bit about what led to that. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you nailed it. Um, I, I've like got a restless spirit. So if I stay in the same place for too long, I start to like get this feeling of wanting to, to change everything in my life, leave my job, sell all my belongings, you know, move, move, move houses, whatever it is. And so when that feeling starts to come up, I know that I need to go and just get away, explore a little bit. And so, um, you know, one of the places that I love to do that the most, aside from the California coast is the Sierras, the Sierra Nevadas, um, all these national parks, I mean, in, in, into Utah, wherever, wherever it is, because there's so much natural beauty um, in the Western United States. And, uh, and this all started, you know, I, I, I bought a Tacoma, which Tim likes to make a lot of fun of me about because Right after I bought the Tacoma, I was up in the. No, no, I need to. Like, I need to tell this story. I think I need to tell this story, which is, you know, Matt <laughs> bought this. He he was very proud of this truck, right? Like it's a truck. It's a big, tough Tacoma. Very excited by this, and he comes in, literally like this is the first week that he's owned this van, and he took it up into the mountains, and there was a little bit of a breeze, and the door bent in the wind, and. I don't know. Andy and I just found that to be completely hilarious. <laughs> this tough truck has paper doors <laughs> that broke in the wind. <laughs> that I will never hear the end of. I will never hear the end of. They're like, oh, a, a teeny little breeze. It was a hundred mile per hour gusts, Tim. It was a hundred mile per hour gusts. It was a it was a pretty hilarious moment though. Like brand new truck, so proud. I'm up on the top of a mountain. Open the door. There's a huge, the best part is there's this huge storm and there's this moment of clearing and there's a rainbow. And I'm like, oh, a rainbow. I need to get out and take a picture of the rainbow. And I open the door and the wind catches it and just bows the door completely, like as though a truck just came and hit the door and bent it backwards. I mean, um, to, in, in your defense and, and, you know, I'll admit, I believe the insurance company didn't even believe you <laughs> that this had actually happened. They didn't. They were like, this is, <laughs> this is baloney. You open the door, someone, someone must have hit the door. And I was like, look at the weather forecast. There was 100 mile per hour gusts. I just happened to catch one at the worst time. Um, but okay, so you bought a Tacoma with paper doors and then you tried to travel around. Bought the paper door Tacoma, and this was very exciting to me because I had spent, I had a Subaru before, and I would sleep in the back of the Subaru all the time. Um, super uncomfortable, not a lot of room, and not a lot of space to keep a ton of gear. So the first thing I did when I bought this Tacoma was I built out a sleeping platform in the back. So kind of like a modular, uh, removable sleeping platform where all of my camping gear all like everything I could ever need snowboards, surfboards, like can fit underneath. Um, and then there's like a really comfortable bed on top. Um, and I, you know, immediately started using that to travel. It became the place that I, I mean, I just, I would always sleep in it no matter where. I mean, even if I was going to like LA, I'd sleep in it in my buddy's, um, uh, driveway. And so, that was that was like this moment where I'd been waiting for so long to have something like that so that I could have the ability to just get up and go at a moment's notice into the middle of nowhere and find these really kind of isolated locations that are filled with beauty um, that I, and, and just kind of decompress. And so, um, so yeah, I started doing that. And the great thing about the Tacoma and having the, the camper shell on the back and it's not like a real camper shell, it's just, you know, a topper. Um, uh, is that I can pretty much off-road to these incredible locations. Yeah. So, you know, the Eastern Sierras, I mean, there's natural hot springs all over the place. There's lakes. There's all these places that you can get with, with a truck that allows you to do that. And, um, and so I just started going out there and, and really kind of exploring. Um, but as, like, the more and more that I spent in the back of that truck, it's great for those isolated locations. But if I'm trying to be on the road for multiple months at a time, um, which I did in, in that truck, I went for like four months and in the winter, 
I left in November and then went like up through the Sierras all the way down through Death Valley into Utah, down to Arizona, into New Mexico, like this huge road trip. Um, and that whole time, I think there was one night on that road trip that the temperatures were above freezing. Um, so after that experience, I, you know, I, I was like, this is great in the summer, in the winter, I'd like to have something a little bit more comfortable, something I can cook in where I'm not out, out in the elements. Um, and, you know, so for many years, I just started thinking about what's the next, what's the next thing we can build? What's the next version? Um, and I'm happy to say that actually last year when I was in Nicaragua, I get a call from a family friend. Um, I was at the boom again. I somewhere that I now go pretty much every year. Um, and I get this, this, I actually got a text from my parents, family friend, and all, all it had was this little, a number in a window. And there was like this beautiful wood siding around the window. Um, and she said, you need to get, you need to buy this camper, um, like text this person. And so I just, from Nicaragua texted this, these people and said, Hey, you know, what is, uh, I, my, my family friend told me you have a truck that's for sale. Um, I'd love to see more pictures. And they sent me these pictures and, you know, basically what they had was this hand built, um, camper, absolutely gorgeous. Um, the guy and his wife, uh, were German had moved to the United States for two years, um, to work and live. Um, and had built this to, to basically live and travel in. Um, they'd only actually traveled in for about six months because, uh, because they um, were, were working and, <laughs> and building it. Um, and so I, I took a look at this thing and, and immediately fell in love with it. Um, and I don't know, if you look at like camper vans on Craigslist, if you look at, I mean, they're normally, the minimum is like 40 grand, right? Or 30 grand for something that's, not you know totally beat mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. was they gave this to us for way less than that like i mean we're talking like under 12 grand um and it i mean it's just it's gorgeous and so my partner and i decided that we were going to just buy it um and we bought it and it's now i mean I, we are in love with it except for the gas prices <laughs> Like it's, I mean, it's a box, it's a box on an, the, the truck that it is built on. So it, it's married to a 1988 F-250 302 um, V8. And so it is, you know, this truck, I mean, it is this thing and it's a box on top of an old truck. Yep. So, I mean, and the 302 engine is actually probably too small really to have something like this on the back so when we're going in the sierras i mean you are not you are not getting anywhere fast um but yeah the the gas mileage is absolutely atrocious i mean it's and with the gas prices the way they are now it's almost like you know you're like oh i'm gonna have this camper i'm gonna save all this money on lodging and it's it's so expensive to drive the thing right now that i think it's probably more expensive to take that than be cheaper you know, just to drive to drive a smaller car and then pay for lodging when you get there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but that's, it's all about the experience, Tim. It's all about the experience. All about the experience. Yeah. And, and you know, you do have that advantage of, I presume it's got what, like a cassette toilet or something in it. You've got water, you've got a, you know, well, oh, we're not, not that, that we're not that fancy, Tim. Not that fancy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's, 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 it's not got electrical. So I've, I've run, I actually, I, I'm actually getting this like really cool, like on the go generator, but it's not a gas power generator. It's electric and solar powered. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've run lights inside of it. Um, we have, it has a sink that outlets to the outside, mm -hmm. you know, but we have to use five gallon, like we have, we set up a five gallon thing above there. Uh, okay. Yep. Um, and then there, there isn't a bathroom in inside of the truck. Um, but I mean, we're not, you know, we're animals at heart. I'm feral. You know how feral. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and uh, so I guess um, bringing this to a wrap, two questions for you. 
the first one, so what's next? You know, where, where's the next trip? What are, you, what are your sort of plans over the next sort of two or three years? Uh, you're obviously going to keep traveling and keep exploring and keep surfing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, you know, my next, um, we've got a couple of like, I mean, so this trip to Nicaragua, obviously I've got a bunch of guys I've surfed with over, over the course of my life. My buddy Vinny, who I've basically gone on every trip to Indonesia with, also was with me in Central America, now lives in Argentina, where his wife is from, um, and they have a newborn baby. So, you know, we obviously don't get to see each other as much as we used to. My closest friend, Ford, he's like my best friend, um, Matt here in San Francisco, surfed Ocean Beach together all the time, um, but he's originally from Philadelphia. He now lives back in Philadelphia. Um, you know, we just have the, all of these guys that are kind of spread out. Um, and so we all come together once a year and meet back up at the boom and have like a 10 day surf trip. And so that's right around the corner. Um, really, really excited for that. Um, but beyond that, you know, my partner and I have been talking a lot about our priorities over the next three to five years. Um, and, you know, right now we're, we both have very uh, demanding jobs that luckily, you know, pay us well and have allowed us to buy a home in San Francisco. Um, and there's a lot of good stability that's coming as a result of that. But like I said, you know, too much stability makes Matt real edgy. Um, and so, yeah, we actually just, I mean, literally just had this conversation two days ago about what the next one to three years looks like and what we are planning on doing is you know putting our heads down and really working we've got some you know uh remodels that we want to do the place we bought uh so it can so it can rent um and kind of get that stuff done and then we basically are our plan is is to just hit the road for an undetermined amount of time um and certainly tour areas in the United States we haven't seen. So take Katika, the truck, her, her name is Katika. Um, and that is a combination of the names of the owners of the property where she was built. And that is where the name comes from. And we had to keep it because, you know, she's an old, she's an old girl. She can't <laughs> change. change it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're going to take take Katika all around if I can keep her keep her running because she's she's an old lady. That's one thing about the truck that also is you know the first thing that I did is I immediately you know pulled out the dash, fixed the heating, fixed the doors, um, you know replaced the uh, valve cover gasket, like just a lot of different work um, on the truck, uh, which is actually really fun for me because I love doing that stuff. Um, and then. Yeah, so we're going to go go take her as far as she'll take us. And then the plan is, is to hop on a plane and um, go somewhere tropical, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, Sounds like a good yeah, plan. That's, that's, <laughs> as much as, that's as much as we've got today. So Yeah, fair enough. Sounds like a good plan. Well, hopefully somewhere in there is a, a, a trip to Greece in the middle of it. Um, oh, I mean, I, I've already told you that at some point you're going to have a feral animal living on your boat. <laughs> You're bringing Bodie with you? Uh, no. The, um, <laughs> he's this, he's it, more well-behaved than me. He's more well-behaved okay. than me. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, and yeah, the final question, you, you've traveled in a lot of, uh, you know, let's, let's call it adventure travel or more on the more adventurous end of travel. Um, you know, what would you say to people you know, thinking of traveling through Central America, doing that sort of thing, maybe wanting to travel independently through there, you know, what's your sort of advice? What's the number one thing that you think people should be doing to look out for their safety, look out for, you know, make the experience as good as it can be. Yeah. I mean, I think that like the, just the number one most important thing is always like, if you're traveling with, with multiple bags, like, you know, or you have, you always want to just make sure that like those very, very essential items are somewhere that, it is highly, highly unlikely that even if you get robbed, like you will lose them, right? Um, so I, I mean, I my hat is like my number one go-to is like I will always put things and like secure things in the top of my hat um, because people just don't think to like look there, you know. And you can empty your pockets and and so that's that's the one thing. Um, normally when I'm traveling, I mean, I always have multiple copies of my passport 
copies of my my uh, itineraries, all that stuff, and I spread them out all over the place amongst my luggage and my person, um, so that you know, in the in the worst case scenario that something does happen, I'm not stuck basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes credit cards and debit cards, right? Like I never have all that stuff in one place ever. Like I always, I, I even will like within my own person will put cards or money in different areas um, just so that it, it decreases the likelihood of somebody getting everything. Um, and so, I mean, outside of that, it's, you know, just really trust your instincts. Um, make sure that you're, you know, if you're in a crowded place and you have a backpack on, like swing that backpack around the front of you and, and hold it like that. Um, and, and if you, if you're getting a weird vibe, there's probably a reason for that. Um, mm-hmm. And so trust that fully and, and remove yourself from any situation that you think is, is for whatever reason, not giving you the right feel. Um, and yeah, and have fun. I mean, I think that people, it's really easy to get scared before you travel, right? I mean, uh, every time, I mean, my family, my friends, I have so many people that have zero interest in, in traveling the way that I've traveled. Um, and they all say the same thing. They're like, aren't you afraid? Like, I, I, if I read on the United States travel, you know, embassy notifications, it's highly dangerous, robberies probable. And, you know, you go and you, you, it's very easy to find horror stories about any place if that's what you're looking for. But at the end of the day, you just have to remember that we're all human beings. And just like at home, I mean, the United States is not a safe place. I mean, Oakland, California has a horrendous murder rate. So to me, I just think, you know, it's just as likely for bad things to happen at home. And it's, it's just a matter of how do you want to show up in the world? And I, I normally have found that showing up with an open heart and like kindness um, gravitates you towards people that are, that are similar. Um, and those are the people that you look for when you need help. Um, Cause there's always somebody that's willing to help. So, yeah. Awesome. Kindness and an open heart. That must be how we found each other. Definitely, Tim. Definitely. And that's why we we remain connected. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure, Matt, to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time and telling us some of your travel stories and wishing you all the best on your next trip to down south to the boom. Uh, Yeah, can't wait. And I can't wait to see you on the boat. Yeah, you betcha. All right, cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Footloose. Feedback is always welcome at Timbull on Twitter. That's T-I-M-B-U-L-L. Catch you next time.